0: Good evening, friends. It's a pleasure to be with you. Have you ever felt like you don't quite fit in? You're not really that welcome. I had that experience twice recently. One uh, was about an hour and a half ago. Uh, I was sat in the stands at Villa Park And uh, Liverpool were playing Aston Villa. And uh, as a die-hard Liverpool fan, it was very hard not to cheer really loudly when (laughs) Liverpool scored two goals in the first 13 minutes of the game. You see, I wasn't allowed to cheer very loudly because I was sat with my son in the Aston Villa side. (laughs) And uh, everyone around me had their claret and blue on. And uh, lots of villa scarves and hats. And uh, for me to let everybody know that I was a Liverpool supporter would not have been a good idea at that moment. Uh, So I had to keep my identity, my secret identity, very, very quiet. But I had that experience about this time last year as well. Uh, I was invited for the first time ever to a red carpet premiere. And uh, it was the premiere of the movie... Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Has anyone seen that film? Yeah, it's a great one to rent at Christmas. Uh, I love watching anything to do with C.S. Lewis at Christmas. And this was going to be a special premiere because um, really famous people were going to be there from places like X Factor. And uh, yeah, you've seen X Factor? Yeah. Anyway, all the X Factor kind of finalists were going to be there. And uh, all the cast members are going to be there too, which was really exciting for me, uh, because the guy that plays Aslan is Liam Neeson. Uh, And I was a bit of a Star Wars geek as I grew up as a child. And uh, Liam Neeson uh, plays one of the key figures in The Phantom Menace. I was there, really ready, waiting with intent, loitering on the red carpet outside Leicester Square, where the um, the cinema was. And uh, it was a weird day, because it was snowing, but the organisers of the, of the event weren't convinced that the British weather was going to come through for them. So they organised fake snow as well as real snow. And uh, so it was a kind of really weird thing. I, I was all dressed up in a, a kind of tuxedo. I borrowed one uh, from a 16-year-old boy in our church in uh, Cornerstone. I don't have one of my own. And I was ready, though. And um, I was ready with my kind of Star Wars calendar in case I met Liam Neeson on the the steps outside the cinema but it wasn't just going to be the members of the X Factor or even the cast of the movie that were going to be there this was a royal premiere and it was the first film that the Queen had seen that was going to be in 3D and so I was especially excited because I had a camera ready because I wanted to catch a, a photo of the Queen wearing 3D glasses. <laughs> I thought that would be valuable. Someone told me I had to be careful not to take a picture of the Queen's head while she was on her side, because uh, I could use it to post things with. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there I was, loitering with my Star Wars calendar in one hand and my camera in the other hand, uh, waiting to me, either someone from the X Factor, Liam Neeson himself, or the Queen. Uh, And I was loitering really well until these really large guys came. And uh, they had sunglasses on, even though it was snowing and it was dark. And they had a kind of little wire from the back of their ears down the back of their black jackets. And uh, they were huge. They were like three times me in width. Uh, And they managed to gently but firmly push me away. So that I had to go into the cinema so that I wouldn't be in the same space as any of the really important people. You see, I was just riffraff compared to people like the X Factor stars, Liam Neeson, and especially the Queen. Now, the weird thing is, when it comes to the Christmas story, we see something (coughs) very different. The most important person that's ever walked on our planet doesn't treat human beings the way that I was treated on the red carpet. God seems to be very keen that everybody gets to know that his son is coming into the world. I don't know if you followed the reading earlier on from Matthew chapter 2. When we hear the story of the Magi, sometimes we call them the three wise men or the three kings. We're not sure how many there really were because All all we know is that there were three gifts, so we assume there was kind of one gift per king or wise man. But the Bible just tells us they were magi, which means they were astrologers visiting uh, from many, many miles away, most probably Babylon, which was about 500 miles away, two months' journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, where they turn up. You see, they turn up looking for a king and they go to the right place, don't they? They go to a palace. But when they turn up and they ask, where is the one that is born to be king of the Jews? I I think the reaction they got made them feel like they weren't really welcome. I think there were a few strange looks, some few squirming noises made as people realised there was no baby that was born in Jerusalem. There was no king-to-be that was born in the palace. And soon, King Herod himself finds out. Now, King Herod was a vicious man, known for violence and a hot temper. And he'd been king for some time. And to hear that a new king was being born was quite awkward for him, especially because he wasn't from Jewish descent. For someone to say, Someone has been born who is born to be king of the Jews was quite uncomfortable for King Herod. See, the weird thing about King Herod is that he really couldn't fit Jesus into his life. He couldn't fit Jesus into the Christmas story. There was no room for Jesus as far as King Herod was concerned. The strange thing about Christmas is for many of us, there's no room. For Jesus. Jesus doesn't quite fit into our Christmas plans and, and even worse there's no room for Jesus in our lives. He doesn't kind of fit into what our plans are for our lives. And I can, I can relate to that. I can understand. Uh, the idea that there might be a king coming to the earth that doesn't claim to just rule over a, a geographical space but actually claims to be the king over all people everywhere is quite scary. I've spent a little bit of time recently on aeroplanes and uh, by some amazing uh, uh, coincidence, the last four times I've fly- flown, I- I've been upgraded to business class three times. Uh, and this is unheard of in my family. I've never paid to fly business class, but to be upgraded, well, it's, it's wrong to say no, isn't it? <laughs> and, and so there they are, suddenly... You're, you're transformed into the centre of the universe. It's amazing. They, they say, can I take your coat for you, sir? Is it all right if I put your shoes away for you, sir? And would you like your bed to recline? So it's 180 degrees. And, and what would you like first to drink? And um, which of the four different hors d'oeuvres would you like? So it's just amazing. It's incredible. And um, you, know, you kind of get used to it. <laughs> You come home and you kind of expect to be treated in the same way. (laughs) Where's the bell that I should press to get my next drink? Or or who's going to remove my shoes for me? It just becomes normal. Our culture works on a similar process. It teaches us that we are the centre of the universe and everything around us is there for our pleasure. If you want it, you can pay for it. It's all about you. You can watch what you want. You can be who you want. You can drive what you want. You can look how you want. You are the centre. You're the king of your own universe. And I understand that. I understand that when I'm driving. Or actually I understand it more when I'm not driving but when I'm a passenger. I am a terrible passenger because I really like to be in control. I find myself putting the brakes on, even though I'm not the one driving. I'm the one shouting, watch out, or slow down. I'm awful as a driver. Even if the person driving is a better driver than I am, I just want to be in control. And King Herod really, really wanted to be in control. He wanted to be in control so much that he demonstrated what kind of king he was by doing something absolutely horrific. He lies to the Magi who have come to worship the new king. He says, I I tell you what, guys, I'm not going to come with you, um, but you go on ahead and when you find the baby, tell me where he is so I can come and worship him too. But when the Magi don't come back, King Herod exterminates all the baby boys in the region aged two and under. He massacred innocent babies. It's a horrible, grisly side to the Christmas story. Some people think the Christmas is just for children, but that can't be right, can it, when it contains such horrible, ugly moments in history. You see, King Herod wanted to be king so much that he would do anything he could to keep Jesus out of the world and out of his life. And if that meant killing hundreds of babies, he would do it. What are we willing to do to keep Jesus out of our life? To not say to him, Jesus, you are a king, a worthy king, worth worth following, worth doing anything for. What are we willing to do to keep Jesus out of our life? You see, the strange thing was that King Herod didn't need to try to kill Jesus because he had nothing to fear from Jesus. Jesus wasn't a king like Herod who wanted to hold on to power and exterminate his enemies. Jesus showed us what kind of king he was by the way that he lived and the way that he died and the way that he rose again. You see, in Jesus you see a a servant king When you see Jesus in action in the rest of this gospel, you see someone who has all the power in the universe and yet won't use it for his own benefit. Think about a time when Jesus was hungry. He says he was hungry because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. He'd been in the desert praying and and talking to God, but for 40 days he'd had nothing to eat and then he's tempted to use his power to turn stones into bread. But he won't do it. But think of another time. Jesus is in the wilderness again. But this time there's a crowd of thousands of people there. And Jesus takes a few fish and a few loaves and he turns it into enough food to feed 5,000 men and women and children on top. What does that show you about Jesus? He's a servant king. He won't use his power for himself. He'll use it to help other people. Jesus surrendered his life on a cross. And yet if he would wanted to, he could have exterminated those that came, with, came against him with nails and a cross to crucify him. But he allowed himself to be killed so that he could carry the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. He offered himself as a sacrifice so that we could live. So that you and I, no matter what we've done, whatever we've come from, we can be offered a life of relationship with God, with our sins forgiven on our slate white clean. The complete opposite of Herod. Herod would kill to hold on to power. Jesus died giving up power so that he could offer us life. You see, handing your life over to Jesus, asking Jesus to lead you in your life, to take hold of the steering wheel of your life and to lead you in the way that you're going to go is not a frightening step because you're you're handing your life over to one who loves you even more than you love yourself, who knows you even better than you know yourself and offers his life so that you don't need to face punishment for the sins that we've committed. Retribution for the things that we've done wrong. God offers his life in the person of Jesus instead of us. It's funny that at Christmas many of us want to run from Jesus when Jesus ran to our world to offer us life. There's an urban myth, you probably know it, It tells of a woman driving late one night through the country roads and uh, some of us know how dark those country roads are and how scary they are to drive on our own but this woman sees uh, a, 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 a garage and she stops at the garage fills up with petrol and uh, gets back into the car and uh, as she comes away from the garage she notices another car on her bumper and flashing its lights as brightly as it can and beeping the horn and and she slows down to let the car pass but it doesn't want to pass it wants to kind of run her off the road or so it seems and so the woman doesn't know what to do she kind of puts her foot down and runs as far drives as fast as she can away but this other driver won't give up and she doesn't know what to do it's getting dangerous now So she pulls over to the side of the road and the other driver stops, gets out of the car and runs to her window and terrified the woman doesn't know what to say. But the driver opens the back door of her car and, and grabs the guy that slipped into her car at the garage and apprehends him. The woman was running from the wrong person. She thought the person chasing her was coming to hurt her but actually he was coming to save her. Many of us run from Jesus because we're afraid he's come to destroy our lives or to make our lives boring. No, Jesus came into the world not to condemn us, but to save us and offer us life with God forever. This Christmas, don't run from Jesus, run to him. Come and find out exactly what he's about. Let these carols that we've been singing act as a kind of homing beacon for you some of the words have spoken truth truth about the God that loves us enough to send his son into the world to rescue us that we might know life forever you might not feel like you fit in sometimes well God says you are invited you're invited to be part of my family and I'll send my son in order to make that possible